uh, one of the things that we see is is brick and mortar businesses ask a lot about how do you get rid of these reviews, these negative reviews, yeah. and my answer is a little different than some of my colleagues' answers would be. I think digitalmarketingradio.com. The big interview with David Bain. What are some of the best ways for brick and mortar businesses to leverage digital marketing? How do you build a village to support your business? And who holds the Guinness World Record for the world's longest uninterrupted live webcast? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask today's special guest, Susan Baroncini Mo. Susan, welcome to DMR. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, welcome. Well, Susan is the author of best-selling Business in Blue Jeans, How to Have a Successful Business on Your Own Terms, In Your Own Style. She's an executive coach and a digital marketing strategist. So, Susan, why business in blue jeans? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It it started out sort of like, what is it I really love about what I do? And and I was rebranding at the time. And what I what I came up with was I really like rolling up my sleeves, getting into the business, and really making things happen. Kind of like, you know, really just digging in. Mm. And to do that, I really like wearing comfortable clothes. But over the years, the brand has evolved into such a way that it's kind of a, a philosophy. And so Business in Blue Jeans is really about creating businesses that have the properties of blue jeans. You know, those best blue jeans that make you look like 10 pounds lighter, they <laughs> look great in them, they fit you perfectly, and they're really strong, sturdy, and durable. And those are the kinds of qualities we like to see in our clients' businesses. Ah, right. So your clients don't have to wear blue jeans, though. No, and <laughs> as much as I hate to disappoint people, I don't always wear blue jeans myself. Oh. <laughs> I sometimes do. If I'm doing a public appearance, I will wear blue jeans, but not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an excellent brand. Uh, um, and obviously you work a lot with um, brick and mortar businesses. Um, so what are some of the best ways for brick and mortar businesses to leverage digital marketing? Oh, you know, it's such a broad topic and it is such a challenge for brick and mortar businesses today because brick and mortar businesses... We're, you know, typically we're talking about smaller enterprises, right? So yeah. we have a limited staff. And that's really the biggest challenge of digital marketing is that digital marketing has evolved in such a way that there are so many categories of digital marketing. And each of those categories requires a different skill set. So finding one person to act as sort of your, your marketing coordinator, if you will, to manage all of your digital marketing is a big challenge. So we find, and, and I know this is a very self-serving thing to say, but we find that it's much easier for our clients to hire us to manage their digital marketing simply because it is such a broad skill set and we have an entire team that has that skill set. Right. Now, if you can't bring in a team, then the best place to start is is figuring out who is your target market for your business and get super, super clear on that. And then to ask, where online are those people hanging out? You may not have to have a platform or a profile in every social media platform, and you may not have to use every single tool out there, but only the things that are really going to bring in business. And so is it necessary for um, a traditional brick-and-mortar business to actually understand digital marketing, or is it reasonable for them to just to pass um, all of those activities over to an agency like yourselves to actually manage it for them and then just focus on their business? Unfortunately, I'd, I'd love to say, yeah, you know, just focus on what you're doing. If you're bringing in business, it's fine. Unfortunately, 
big data has made that almost impossible. And so there's this thing I learned about that I've been really angry about. <laughs> as, a, as a marketer, I understand it as a consumer and as a, a person who has great feeling for business owners, especially brick and mortar and the mom and pop shops. It makes me kind of kind of mad. Right. So the deal is this, um, mom and pop shop. Let's say you start your store, you sign your lease, you set up your electrical account, your, you know, all of your, your utilities, you set up your phone, you set up your internet. And, and what happens is each of these companies creates an account for you. Well, human beings are creating those those accounts, and they all those databases have different characteristics that they allow. So one account, account might say uh, 111 Main Street, S-T-R-E-E-T. Mm -hmm. Another one might say 111 Main Street, S-T. And third one might say 111 Main. What happens is that wouldn't be a big deal, and in the past it hasn't been. But now that data set for you know your phone company, for example, that data set becomes a commodity that they now sell to big data companies. And big data companies in turn sell that data to Google, Facebook, all kinds of directory listing sites. And they sell that data without your permission, your consent, or your control. So you have no knowledge about these you know, pieces of data that are getting distributed out through the web and you have no control over them. So, you know, it, it basically creates a problem because if, you know, they don't have enough room to put your suite number on, for example, then, you know, you're going to have addresses, listings out there with wrong addresses or, or addresses that are lacking. Mm -hmm. And and not only that, but search engines penalize you for that. So the because they're inconsistent. So you can't ignore this anymore because you may have Facebook a Facebook page for your business that you know nothing about because Facebook created it for you so that they can satisfy their shareholders. Mm -hmm. So there are all these reasons why you know, you're kind of, as a brick and mortar, you're getting forced into digital marketing, whether you like it or not. And if you aren't monitoring that digital marketing, it can really hurt you because Facebook now will set up a page for you and people can write reviews about your business. You might not even know about that. So it's, it's a big thing that, that we encourage our brick and mortar clients to really pay attention to, really take ownership over. And, and part of what we do as a team for our clients is to help them gather the information, control the information, and, and manage it effectively so that it doesn't hurt them. So if Facebook do set up a page for a business without that business knowing about it, can that business claim that specific page or do they have to start their own page and, and drive people towards that? We recommend that you claim it. Because and then you can have control over it. So you'll have control over the content. Now you'll have if, if someone has written reviews about your business, I, it's, it's funny. I have a, um, a client that when we first talked with them, we said, do, you know, we noticed you don't have a Facebook or you have these Facebook profiles, but what's going on? And the woman said, oh, we keep trying to shut those down. And every time we shut them down, they just pop back up. Mm. Well, no one person is creating those pages. It's all happening digitally. And it's happening through this constant monthly, daily, weekly feed of big data. So it's impossible to try to shut them down. So we advocate for just claiming and controlling the information. So if necessary, then claiming multiple pages. Well, yeah, if you have multiple locations, you should have multiple pages. And and if you don't, Facebook will likely create them for you anyway. And, and it's not just Facebook that's doing it. It's Yelp. It's um, it's all these different directory listing sites. Google will do it with Google+. Plus. It's, it's a huge, huge problem. Yeah, no, I was just wondering with what you were saying earlier on about having p 
potentially multiple versions of your address out there, Facebook could think that there are multiple businesses at the same address or just a slightly different address and therefore create multiple pages for your business. And if that was if that was the case, then would Facebook, if you tell them to, combine the pages or would they just retain them as separate pages? Uh, I think that you can have some control of that by reaching out to Facebook. But but here's the thing. If you control the data, then it gets cleaned up. Mm. I don't know if if, the, if Facebook will clean up those pages or not. But but I, if our, our experience is with Facebook, we have to go in and argue with them a bit. But yeah. but if you if you uh, start to control the data at the source. So, for example, what happens is, you know, all these different accounts and they might get your name wrong, too, by the way. So associates might become A-S-S-O-C, for example. So all kinds of things are going to happen with business and and the way it's listed and so what we do is we go to big data we go to the ones that are selling the data to facebook and google and yelp and all these directory listing sites and we control the information at that source because that's the best place to control it and and correct it so um one of the things that you actually mention in your book i believe is that um you talk about um building a village to build your business so i'm intrigued by that can you tell us a little bit more about that so the village is really about four neighborhoods, and I think it's really important to have people in all four neighborhoods. So the four neighborhoods are masterminds, network, administrative, and advisory. And so masterminds are the people who are really close connections that you really mastermind with in the original sense of the term. And I don't mean like these phone calls or, you know, coaching calls where one person is talking for a long period of time with, a you know, hundreds of people listening in, but actual meetings that you would have with someone, uh, actual connections where you're encouraging one another, promoting one another, and helping one another. Um, the networking connections are quite a bit looser but they are kind of connections where you refer business to one another, you know each other, and maybe it's a good good opportunity to do business together. Administrative is the neighborhood where people get things done. So this is the most tidy of neighborhoods. And <laughs> it's where your administrative assistants live. Uh, it's where my virtual assistant, who's awesome, where she lives. <laughs> um, it's where all the people who do the, the actual work of your business, so your web developers, your graphic designers, some of your marketing people, if they're actually doing implementation. And then the last one is the advisory neighborhood. And this is where you'll find your lawyers, accountants, um, let's see, wait, is it solicitors in, in your part of the world? Yes, Solicitors, yeah. not lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's where you find your consultants and coaches. So these are the people that not only give you advice and keep you on the right path of your business, but also keep you out of trouble. Mm. So all of those things are important. So are you more of a fan of doing business face-to-face rather than um, having lots of virtual relationships then? You know, it's funny. As I get older, I find that I want that personal connection more and more. But as I get busier, uh, I'm forced to have the virtual connections more and more. Mm. Um, I've always run my business very virtually. Um, I will do business with my clients, whether I'm here in Indianapolis, in Indiana, or if I'm in Uruguay, in South America. It's really, for me, more about what works best for the client and then serving them in that way. Right, okay. And another of the fun things that I saw on your website was you actually hold the Guinness World Record for the world's longest uninterrupted, if I could say that word, live web <laughs> live webcast. So that's quite impressive. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, I have a, a world record, yes. It's 36 hours, 23 seconds. And... <laughs> 
Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we we turned it into a a big like master's class in business and all the things it takes to grow a business. So I brought in a lot of well-known best-selling authors and celebrity entrepreneurs to really help deliver what I feel like was a, a good quality of content for people who were listening in. Okay, well, that's that's absolutely incredible. Uh, I mean, to uh, to spend that amount of time, you know, focusing on you know, delivering quality content, I just can't imagine it. I mean, I've <laughs> I, I've delivered a seminar over over a day, you know, so that was effectively eight hours or so of speaking just about, and um, you know, I was absolutely shattered by the end of that. You know, I've done that a few times, but um, uh, thirty six hours—that's how much longer? That's that's like four times the length of that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really good to have all those speakers to help believe me <laughs> <laughs> no no I can I, I can appreciate that still some accomplishment though um and it um, still stands at the moment so let it stand for for a long time I hope I hope so <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah um you obviously assist lots of brick and mortar businesses to leverage digital marketing um but um I would imagine that um you also assist businesses which are, are solely online as well do you Yes, of course. And um, what are the significant differences then between the marketing strategies that you assist brick and mortar businesses with and the marketing strategies that you assist online businesses with? Well, the online businesses, because they typically don't have a physical location, they're not really plagued by the same location data problems mm. that brick and mortar businesses have. So we don't usually offer those services for online businesses. Uh, social media is kind of – it's all the same animal really. Uh, the campaigns are different but um, generally it's the same. It's really all about engagement and connection. Uh, when it comes to things like content marketing, video marketing, again, you know, it's 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 all a tool. Mm. That's the thing about digital marketing is that, that, you know, it's not this, you know, it's a complicated tool, but it's not the end-all be-all. It's really about what are we really – offering and and who are we offering it to and the question is the same whether you have a virtual business or or a, or a brick and mortar business that, so that, you know we we really work hard to make sure that you know and, and I do find that my brick and mortar clients I have to start a little further back with the basics mm. than I do with my online business clients. But that's interesting, though, because by the sound of it, from what you're saying, um, the actual marketing strategies of both different, you know, entirely different types of businesses, um, potentially from um, a marketing perspective, if, if, if you just um, step back and um, think about it from a few years ago, um, but are now converging and um, digital businesses are now embracing a lot of offline marketing techniques mm -hmm. and um Offline businesses are now doing the same with online, so that's um, that that that's great, you know, and um, um, you know, it's certainly great for a business like yours that understands um, both online and offline. I do think it's it's kind of a funny thing um, that it's it's a little secret of the digital marketing world that you really you do need some offline marketing strategies in the mix. So even mm. though, you know, we preach digital marketing and we talk about it a lot and we talk about the merits of it, it's just one tool in the toolbox. Well, it's a lot of tools. It's a big tool in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but um, I mean, I remember digital marketing from, you know, 10 years ago or so when, when I got started and it was very much um, separate from traditional marketing. Um, it was all about techniques to um, drive traffic from 
um, from SEO mainly at the time, or certainly that was the area I was focusing on, and that was you know night and day from conventional marketing. But um, I'm happy that the two are converging and that um, the the techniques um, are becoming more ethical and long term in their thinking. I think there are still some unethical techniques out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unethical (laughs) offline techniques as well. Well, no. Well, there have always been unethical (laughs) on both sides. But I think that uh, one thing that we're seeing, you know, is is as we begin to deal with, you know, this this world of consumers having this massive voice that they can use anytime they want, there is a, a desire, I think, by brick and mortar businesses to try to quiet that voice down a little bit. Mm. And uh, one of the things that we see is is brick and mortar businesses ask a lot about how do you get rid of these reviews, these negative reviews. Yeah. And my answer is a little different than some of my colleagues' answers would be, I think. Uh, a lot of my colleagues will say, okay, well, we can get rid of them this way. Here's how we delete them. And I think that's sneaky and I think it's unethical. Uh, so I think the better advice is well, let's find out what these complaints are about. And if there are consistencies, then we need to look at the business and see if we need to improve some things. Not only that, but let's get some of your happy customers to counteract those negative reviews so that we bump your ratings back up. Let's do it in the honest way and in the right way because the the wrong way not only is unethical, but it's also not particularly successful. So have you ever experienced a competitor of your client that you're working for um, and you think that competitor has perhaps assisted with the um, production and um, publishing of negative reviews for the client um, that you're working for? Um, and if so, you'll, how, can a, how can a business deal with that situation? Well, yeah, of course. It, it, and that stuff happens all the time. And, and those are the ones that are ethically ones that you can have removed. Um, but generally the best course of action is it's not the easiest course of action and and if if you can't prove that it's a competitor or it's not an actual customer or client who's writing the review then you know we counteract it we just go at it with as much positive reviewing as we can possibly glean from the existing customer base yes yeah uh, i mean i guess um there are just different challenges nowadays compared with a few years ago. It's um, it's not necessarily any better or worse, but it's it's, it's always evolving. Digital marketing is a, a fastly changing field. Yeah, but you know what's funny about it is this stuff was always there. This is no different. You know, like what we see online with the reviews. Well, people were talking about things all the time, always. Like this mm. isn't something new. It's just now we have the opportunity to respond to it and and to you know to really counteract it and to to manage it. And so now the beauty of these reviews, I think that a lot of businesses see them as a negative and see them as as you know, oh, we have all these reviews, we have to go through them, we have to respond to them. Oh my gosh! But the beauty in them is the amazing, beautiful feedback that you're getting about your business almost instantaneously. And if there's something wrong, you can address it and fix it very rapidly before it has a chance to truly damage your business. Mm. I mean, I guess one of the challenges, though, with reviews is that customers who um, don't feel that strongly about your business are probably fairly unlikely to leave a review. And you get customers that absolutely love what you do or absolutely hate what you do. And um a lot of reviews, certainly in my opinion or my experience, seem to be one stars or, or five stars. Um, is that something that you've experienced as well? 
Yes, but I think that the easier it's becoming for people to write reviews, the more we're seeing those middle range, kind of middle of the road people, if they realize it's an opportunity to have a voice, we're starting to see them talk more. So you're right, it has always been the extremes that talked more, but that's true whether you're you know, in the real world asking someone for their opinion about a business or you're online looking at reviews. And and But I think that the ease with which reviews can be left means that now we're starting to see more of those middle-of-the-road folks being willing to do it. And do you actually try and put strategies in place to try to encourage people to leave reviews? Yes, but I think you have to be careful with that because you don't want to be in the position of bribing people for reviews. Okay, so what would be a decent strategy for doing that then? Oh, I can't give you all my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of them? Well, you know, we, we when we work with brick and mortar businesses, obviously, you know, we start in a very mild way by encouraging people at, at many different touch points. We analyze the, the touch points in the business and we assess where would be the best place to, to which, which touch points would be the best opportunities to encourage people to make reviews and in, in which which way. So it's not, uh, you know, so we don't want our people, our clients and customers to feel pressured. We don't want them to feel overwhelmed or like, oh my gosh, one more thing I have to do. But we find ways to subtly influence them to leave a review in a variety of ways. No, no that's that, that, that's decent. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't ask someone who, um, isn't quite a customer yet um but um you'd you'd focus um your efforts on reaching them at a point where um they were likely to be quite satisfied with the business i would imagine um but um i'm sure business owners can have a think what's uh, a little bit more appropriate for their own businesses because every business is of course different and so let's segue over to the second section of our discussion so that focuses on your thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading so starting off with software i couldn't live without so what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you it would significantly impact the success of your business i mean i use so much software that <laughs> i i thought a lot about that um you know if someone took away word or excel i'd be pretty bummed um but <laughs> there are tools out there i can live with you know i can manage mm. um but but photoshop is a big one i'm a big fan of photoshop um, but, but other than that, almost everything else I use, I use online as a, um, you know, as a service. So I don't, in terms of like on like software on my computer, it's mm. been, you know, I haven't, it's been a while since I really invested in that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, no, but that's, that's fine. I mean, so, uh, Photoshop's a decent piece of software that, um, a lot of people still love and obviously, um, find invaluable and the great thing about that is um if you've picked up a version of um photoshop at any point in the last 10 years or so and you've got one now then by and large you'll know how the one nowadays works because it it, it hasn't changed too much well and one of the things that's weird is i you know in my in my current role i don't have a lot of occasion where i need need photoshop Mm. But I really love it, yeah. and so, so letting go of it would be. I would. I guess I wouldn't say it would significantly impact impact the the success of my business, mm. but it would make me sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I actually still use a tool called Fireworks, which was. Um, uh... Um, Macromedia or Adobe? Yes, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was Macromedia, of course, and um, yeah. um, a lot of the functionality within that is is great for saving images for the web. And I've also used a free tool, a free on tool, online tool called Pixelar. 
at mm-hmm. pixlr.com. And that, that's um, like a light version of Photoshop online, but I've, I've found that really effective. And that can produce JPEGs, which are um, a, a decent file size as well for the web. So, um, you know, free programs are getting better for image editing, editing as well nowadays. Oh, David, I remember when Fireworks was new. <laughs> And mm. I remember when Dreamweaver was new mm. and <laughs> yeah. the heartbreak of them selling out to Adobe just killed us all. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know which version of Photoshop it was, but I remember using Photoshop back in the year 2000. So the, the, they've certainly been going for the best part of 20 years. It's quite incredible. Yeah, I think that was like four or five, maybe. <laughs> yeah. what, what number are they on now? I'm not sure. It's a whole different number system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And um, one other um, slightly more challenging question in relation to that. What software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you've meant to try at some point in the near future? That was such an interesting question. And I thought a lot about that. And I try to make sure I've, I've got my hands in all the different software platforms that I want to try. I couldn't think of anything that I hadn't really, maybe fresh books, but not really. I'm a really big fan of Zoho books. So I don't really, I, I've, I've tried other bookkeeping softwares, but fresh books is really close to my heart because of, of, you know, we use that the Zoho or Zoho is really close to my heart because we use Zoho as a CRM. So right. It just makes sense for us, but I've seen really great things about FreshBooks, and so I wonder sometimes if they're, you know. But I think the grass is just greener on the other side. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, sometimes it um, takes a lot of time to to learn something new as well, and you're sometimes better off sticking with what you've got. So it's it's a challenging Especially when situation. It's accounting, oof. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know, I know. That's not my favorite subject. <laughs> no, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day um, that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Also an interesting question. Um, but the first business that I was involved in trying to market online was was so far back when the internet was new. And I know that dates me a lot, but um, but it was so far back. And frankly... It was so easy back then. There just wasn't – you didn't need much because the fact that you were online was a really big deal. Yeah. And so anyone could find you very easily. So I think um, it made me a little bit complacent when I moved to my next enterprise because I thought, ah, it's so easy. What do I need to do? You know, nothing. So I would say that um, – at that point, it would have been good if I had, you know, learned how to let go of some things and hire the team I needed back then, because um, it took me a while to let go of some of the control and, and you know, to to acknowledge that okay, it's not as easy anymore, and and so I would say, you know, having a team in place makes things a lot easier, and you know, with everybody having different specialties, it does it does tend to lend itself to a great great m- more uh, great. I don't know how I'm trying to phrase that sentence, but a much larger uh, amount of success. So I think if I had not had such a great success the very with the very first business, then I wouldn't have been complacent with the second. Right. <laughs> the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction. Ready to go? Okay. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? 
Oh, affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one relations. Paid search or SEO? Oh, man, SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Uh, email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Local marketing. Yeah! <laughs> Big cheer. So, yeah, but I want to go back and change some of my answers. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. <laughs> what, 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 answer, what answer would you uh, change if anyone? Uh, website or app, I would probably do app. <laughs> right, okay. So is that based upon what you think um, is going to happen over the next couple of years then? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you think it's still going to be necessary in two or three years' time for a business to have a website? Well, yeah, I don't think the web's going away. Okay. I mean, you know, we still, yeah, but they all, everything should be mobile friendly. Because I, and the thing is this, like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm old, but I really, the, the small screen is so limiting and you can only do so much. Mm. And at some point, I think we do crave that larger experience. But again, it may be that I'm old. <laughs> it, it, it depends on so many things, doesn't it? It depends on the type of business. It depends on um, the time of day. You know, um, obviously oh, yeah. in the evening, someone's probably more likely to come back and perhaps look at a desktop. Um, so all those factors can have significant consideration for businesses when they're trying to market to people at certain times as well. And you can do so much more with targeted targeted ads now, but um, that's probably beyond the remit of what we're discussing now. Yes. <laughs> um, so moving on to... The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next um, few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Oh, I think... With ten thousand uh, dollars, based on my experience, I would probably invest in pay-per-click. Right. Okay. Um. So Google AdWords specifically? No, no. I think I would distribute. Well, yes, but I think I would distribute over a few platforms. Right. Okay. And um, would the call to action be uh, a landing page on your website then? And um, if if so, do you think that would be to just um? build a list primarily um, or is, is, is there any specific call to action that um, is more effective for you? Well, you know, we've had greater success instead of just trying to build the list by, you know, having some sort of, you know, giveaway. What we found is more effective is, you know, encouraging people to come to like a free event. So maybe a webinar or, uh, you know, or a, a, a free or low cost in-person seminar, very small, inexpensive, low, low investment activities that give them an opportunity to get to know us better. Whether it's, you know, maybe it's a, a white paper or an ebook or, you know, any variety of things, but, but I would want to get them involved. So I don't think that, you know, of course, this is off the top of my head, right? Mm. So, you know, we would probably have, you know, 
test be, I think $10,000 is enough to do a generous test hmm. to see, you know, what is the most effective in terms of, of drawing people in? Is it going to be the white paper? Is it going to be the webinar? Is it going to be an in-person event? And, and what will really get people signed up? Because once they're signed up or maybe, you know, they're, they're invested enough that they give the kind of information that would allow us to make a phone call to them, then I think we can kind of move into a, a, a stronger relationship. I think that's the key word, relationship, you know, focus, mm-hmm. you know, on building that relationship. And um, you don't necessarily have to just do that online. Um, if you can do that in person, in person could be a webinar. But um, if your business is local, why not host an event like you've suggested, you know, so, so mm-hmm. that could be a really effective. Yeah, so great suggestion. Thanks. So moving on to the final um, selection, which is... My number one takeaway. So, Susan, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? Well, I I think that the number one takeaway is ultimately that digital marketing is certainly something that most businesses should be looking at, but it's not the only thing to be looking at. It's one piece of a big, complex puzzle of overarching marketing. So your digital marketing should be a piece in a larger campaign. So the biggest piece should be, what do we offer? Who do we offer it for? And where are they that we can reach them? And digital marketing should be one tool in the toolbox versus an end into itself. Great advice. Well, thanks for that. You know, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thanks for your time, your focus and your willingness to give back. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Visit businessinbluejeans.com. Great stuff. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Digital marketing radio. Digital marketing radio.